One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Condensed Histories. I'm Jem Daduchu, and this time round we're going to get spooky with a special Halloween edition. <laughs> that was my attempt to do that with my normal voice. I'm hoping that Greg in the edit has made it even spookier. As I said before, of course, I just record this stuff and then I listen to what he does with it. So that always puts a smile on my face. But anyway, to give you a bit of a behind the scenes look, Greg and I were discussing, hey, it's coming up to Halloween. You know, lots of people do sort of special Halloween editions of things. Think of The Simpsons and their Treehouse of Horror or Terror, I should say. You know, there's lots and lots of people tend to have a fun Halloween-y type thing. So... What's our hook going to be? Because what we do is we take a, a piece of pop culture and say, hey, there's some real history going on behind this. And the reality is there's so much to choose from in the realms of Halloween. So I went for the obvious one. <laughs> I went for Halloween, the movie, you know, Halloween, Halloween. And what that means is ultimately we're going to be talking about the Europe's pagan past. We're going to be talking about the rise of Christianity. We're going to be talking about how Halloween is absolutely not originally an American festival and commemoration. And we're going to be talking just a tad about human sacrifice. <laughs> Which is pretty on brand for Halloween. Of course, we're going to be talking about the movie and its sequels as well. So, Right. You have to know when Halloween is. It's October 31st every year. What's interesting is it's one of these things which has absolutely seeped out of its original place. It's a little bit like Valentine's Day. Saint Valentine's Day, you know, he's obviously a Christian saint. He's an example of somebody where we know almost nothing about him other than the fact that we know his name he was martyred and it was on February the 14th. We don't even know which year it was. He's obviously one of the early martyrs. So this is the time of the Roman Empire before it became Christianized. And that's it. That's all we got. It was about a thousand years later when he started being associated with love in the medieval era. And we have no idea whether he was particularly into, I mean, I'm sure as a, as a martyr, he sort of like loved God, but we don't have any evidence to say he was related to romantic love. And yet, 
Valentine's Day, February the 14th, is celebrated in so many places around the world, far more places than are actually Christian. It's huge, for example, in Japan, and only about 4% of Japan's population is actually Christian. So that's one example. Halloween is another one. It's, it's, it's just sort of seen as a fun celebration. But we're going to sort of go back to where it all emanated from. And if you like, there are two waves of Halloween. And the first I'm going to start with is actually the second wave because of the movie Halloween, directed by John Carpenter, starring Jamie Lee Curtis and somebody in a mask called Michael Myers. And that came out in 1978. Now, in Britain, prior to 1978, while Halloween was a concept uh, in the 20th century, nobody celebrated it in a big way. But Halloween, the movie, started to sort of introduce the concepts of the car pumpkins and people going trick-or-treating. And it took quite a while for it to, to catch on. I even remember probably going back 20 years ago, I had a flat and I had a knock on the door on Halloween and these kids who were probably pushing teenage years knocking on the door, I was complete, I was ill-equipped. I didn't have uh, any, I know, so I did have some sweets because I knew it was Halloween. But so I came down to the door and they knocked, they knocked on the door and went, here's some sweets. And they went, nah, money. Well, no, I I choose the 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 treat. And I went, no money, or we'll we'll egg your windows. Okay, first of all, this is a maisonette, so the windows you're going to egg is my neighbour's, not mine. And secondly, sweets is what you get because if you're just saying give me money or I'll damage your property, <laughs> that's extortion and that that's against the law. And I just found these kids, you know, they sort of like went, oh, fine, just, and they just grabbed fistfuls of the sweets and ran off. Really ungrateful. We're not talking about a cute little five-year-old and little fun little pumpkin outfit who sort of nervously takes a, you know, a little sweet out of the bucket or, or tray or anything like that. No, these were really ungrateful ho hoodlums. And for years after that, I didn't bother until I moved. I didn't bother. I just switched the lights off and made sure that we watched the TV with no lights on, on trick or treat night. And there does seem to be sort of like more of a routine nowadays. There's been complaints about a kind of antisocial behavior. And so people put stickers uh, on their windows or sort of say, yes to trick or treat. Another one is sort of like if you've got a lit pumpkin, clearly you're open for business, as it were. And in my where I live now, sort of two houses later, it's a nice little area. It's cute to see the little kids and stuff like that. And that's fine. Another full disclosure, little time of my life when I was a student is uh, we were kind of inspired by now. So this is the problem. You got Halloween and you got Friday the 13th, okay? Uh, um, Jason Voorhees is Friday the 13th and he wears the ski mask. Michael Myers, he wears actually that mask of a sort of humanoid face is an inside out Captain Kirk mask. So that actually, that is the inside out of William Shatner's face as he's going on a killing spree. It inspired a little bit more by Friday the 13th, uh, we had to go to a house party at this uh, cool guy I know's house. And he always had some pretty crazy wild sort of teenage parties or early 20s parties going on in his place. Uh, and, uh, you know, he always sort of liked pushing the envelope, as it were, the crazier the better. So me and my friends, or so, so me and two other friends came up with this genius idea. All three of us would arrive wearing boiler suits, you know, kind of like Jason and Michael Myers. And we'd wear the sort of little cheap hockey mask things so they couldn't see our faces. 
I would be holding an axe. I had an actual sort of fire axe. And we also then had cans of crazy string and fun foam and things like that. So basically, we thought it was a brilliant idea. But of course, we hadn't thought it through properly. Because when you get a knock, knock, knock on the door and you open it up and there are three masked individuals wearing boiler suits, one of which holding a, an offensive weapon. You don't know that's Jem and his friends. And so for before we did that, we actually drove around the local area with the face masks on and yeah, got, got some pretty scary looks. This was a terrible idea. Please do not try this at home. I'm sharing this with you so you don't have to. Okay. So anyway, we arrived at the guy's place. Not, not, not. He opens the door. He looks utterly terrified. I sort of waved my, my axe around my two friends and we had more crazy foam and, and string and than, than we needed because we wanted everybody else to join in. But what happened is the other two burst in. Everyone's just standing there mortified. We then just cover the place in foam and crazy string and stuff like that. I always remember a friend of mine called Tim just sitting there screaming, they got my beer. You know, there's sort of like this, all this crazy foam in his beer sort of frothing up. And it's sort of like the, the voice of sheer horror on his face was like a mourning man in a war zone. They got my beer. They got my beer. Anyway. Um, and then we took off the mask and everyone was appalled that it was just us. And it's all like, well, why did you do that? Like, why don't you join in? And, and then we realized it was a very, very, very bad plan. So yes, uh, you know, Halloween is a time for teenagers to sort of misbehave. It's time for little kids to get completely zonked with sugar. And it's time for parents to generally worry about either of those other two groups. But I thought, I, you know, John Carpenter's Halloween, the, the thing about horror as a whole is the vast majority of horror movies. The reason why you see so many of them in the cinemas, uh, when the cinemas are open, is because they are so incredibly cheap to make. Basically, a lot of the movies, if, for example, one of the early releases in 2020 was The Invisible Man starring Elizabeth Moss. That that cost maybe five, six, seven million dollars to make. And then it grossed worldwide well over a hundred million. So that's hugely profitable. You know, something like Avengers Endgame might bring in billions, but it cost estimations are about 450 million to make. So you have to be turning a huge profit to even make that profitable. Whereas even with Blumhouse is the sort of like the darling, almost like the indie darling of horror movies, and they produced The Invisible Man. Even if the movie is poorly received, by then it's made maybe 10, 15 million. It's already paid for itself. So they keep the costs really, really low. That does not mean it necessarily looks cheap, but the thing is a lot of horror is like shadows and hinted at insanity and sort of people looking into camera going, woo, isn't particularly expensive. You don't need, you know, actually the more CGI you have in it, chances are the less scary it actually is. So Blumhouse is excellent at keeping all this locked it was the same thing with the original John Carpenter Halloween. It did not cost a lot of money and blew the doors off the box office. It was a huge monster smash. And that came out in 1978. So I guess it's not surprising that there was a sequel in the works in 1981. Just a few years later, we get Halloween 2. But the thing was that they figured that the story about Jamie Lee Curtis fighting against Michael Myers, that's kind of been done by then. So what's interesting is just a year later, you get Halloween 3, Season of the Witch. And that was hugely disappointing because there's no Jamie Lee Curtis and also there's no Michael Myers in it. It's basically an anthology of other scary movies. They wanted to turn Halloween into, if you like, 
every Halloween will produce a horror movie for you, only barely connected with like DNA of horror rather than an ongoing story. It was actually quite a revolutionary idea. It's a little bit like going back to the Marvel movies, kind of what Marvel is. And though there is an overarching story, there are some films you can kind of watch on their own and they're not necessarily that connected. And because that was such a revolutionary idea and it didn't give the audience what they want, it bombed and it bombed hard. So that was in 82. So unsurprisingly, it then took a while before they made a ne another one. But, you know, they'd made money. So in 1988, we get Halloween 4. In 1989, just a year later, we get Halloween 5, which is actually called The Curse of Michael Myers, I believe. And then it goes quiet for quite a while. And we have to wait for the sixth one in 95. And then in 98, which is 20 years after the original one, they bring Jamie Lee Curtis back. And, you know, it's Halloween 20 years later. So they called it H2O or H20, technically. So Halloween 20 H2O. It, it, clever name? I don't know. Then 2002, we get Halloween Resurrection. And then in 2018, they make Halloween which is a direct sequel to the original Halloween with a older Jamie Lee Curtis, ignoring all the other movies. If you're finding this complicated, don't worry. It was, okay? The thing about horror movies is generally they're out there to make money. They're not out there to make high art. So be it Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th, there are a whole slew of these movies that spawn huge amounts of sequels of varying quality and, you know, pay very little attention to the consistency or, or even the story beats of the earlier ones. So... Yeah, that's uh, so that's basically what's going on with Halloween, the movies. So that, you know, they're a cottage industry. And as I say, horror is an area that's uh, sort of like perennially popular in the cinemas. I'll never forget. I went to a movie called Candyman, which is meant to have a whole re-release and sort of like resurrection, not re-release, but, uh, you know, revamp, as it were. So that should be it was meant to be coming out in 2020, but it's it's been delayed. The original Candyman. Uh, sorry, a couple of fun stories around that. So. So I went with my then girlfriend. I didn't realize it'd be as scary as it actually was. And as soon as the first jolt came, I never understood why you would take your partner. You know, here we are, young love. Let's go to the movies and watch someone get their head cut off. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. But as soon as there was a big scare, she just grabbed me. <laughs> And you could have seen the light bulb go off above my head as it's like, Oh, this is a way to have physical contact without it being creepy. This is genius. God bless John Carpenter and all the other <laughs> horror movie directors. You are geniuses. Of course, I was absolutely terrified out of my own wits with the movie myself. But I came up with the cunning idea of hugging her while she hugged me and keeping my damn eyes shut. So I wasn't necessarily jumping out of my skin. Little little the tip there for all those doing sort of early dating processes and uh, still going to the movies. There we go. So that was it. But then the, the, the tag about Candyman is you have to stand in the mirror look into the mirror and say Candyman five times and then he appears behind you and kills you. It's a stupid idea, okay? At that point, I was at university and I went back to my student digs. We were there with a couple of other people. This, it was not meant to be a date, but I uh, went back with some of my housemates who had also seen the movie with us. And anyway, this one guy who is now a doctor of biochemistry from Cambridge University, very, very, very smart gentleman indeed, you know, a man who in no way is superstitious. And to prove the point, 
he went to the mirror just before he went to bed. He said, Candyman five times. Nothing happened. But then, out of sheer coincidence, in the middle of the night, we are in student accommodation here. It's not the world's best built accommodation. In the middle of the night, coincidentally, his bed collapsed and he screamed like he was being eaten alive. It was hilarious. <laughs> so I'm aware I've shared a lot about the movie and, you know, a little bit about me, but it was basically these horror movies that started introducing trick-or-treat into Britain, as it were. So it is, in that sense, an American import, but it was already imported into America via Britain, which we're going to come on to the history bit now, you'll be pleased to hear. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So with history, if you like, and Halloween, let's talk about the problematic issues of reading the Bible. Now, I, I don't mean this as a disrespect to any Christians who are listening, but when people turn around and say, this is a history book for Christians, well, if it really was written that way, they forgot to put in any dates whatsoever. I'm not even just talking about like days of the week or months of the year. I'm talking about years. You know, there's just no dates anywhere in it. A case in point, you know, we celebrate Christmas on December 25th. Why? because it ain't in the Bible anywhere. There's been some very clever people who've made allusions to the fact that there are references to sort of uh, Jewish commemorations, and they've extrapolated about how long it takes Mary to give birth, etc., etc. And they've come up to best guess is November. So it's close to December, but you, you know, you see, so you can see that there's a there's an issue there. So at no point are you going to find in the Bible 
a mention of Halloween or the date of October 31st. Also, apart from in the chapter headings, you know, the gospel according to St. Luke, the gospel according to St. John, etc., you will not actually find any reference to saints either. You're not even going to find references really to churches because they didn't exist because Jesus was around at that time. There are all these things that have been added later. This is the fascinating thing about Christianity because, again, I, it doesn't matter whether you believe or not, you can't understand European history and culture without understanding Christianity. If you take it out, none of this actually works anymore, okay? So, with that in mind, what you've got is a series of church leaders, patriarchs, later on, popes, and, you know, Roman emperors, Christian Roman emperors, like Constantine. One of the things that's always worth remembering is they do keep finding other very early Christian writings. They found the gospel according to St. Thomas. They found parts of the gospel according to St. Judas. Why were none of these added to the Bible? The other thing is the book of Revelation, the very last book in the Bible, is to put it mildly, quite different to the rest of the Bible. It's a fever dream of these sort of like imagery and metaphors, whereas by con contrast, Jesus's mission uh, on earth, you know, he talked in parables. They might have been metaphorical, but they were completely unambiguous about what they meant, whereas some parts of the book of Revelation are, are just sort of like almost indecipherable, you know, dragons coming out of chasms with six heads and six, six crowns, and literally there's a line saying uh, his tail reaches into the skies and brings down half of the stars onto planet Earth. Well, if that was to ever be taken literally, planet Earth wouldn't be here because just one star would fry us to pieces, but, you know, half the stars in the sky? Also, that's a really long tail. Anyway, the point is, why is the book of Revelation there? Why isn't the gospel according to St. Thomas in there? And the answer was, you got the Emperor Constantine, a pagan, he only became Christian on his deathbed, he wanted to glue the empire together with a common religion, and he chose Christianity. And so he forced all the church leaders together and, and in essence, said, kind of don't care what you come up with, but we need a standard. And that's the thing. Very, very early Christians, uh, Christians in like the second century AD, who were born well after Jesus's Christ, uh, you know, time on earth, they didn't know Jesus, but they had all these different teachings. And some of them we would consider nowadays sort of heretical or sort of like apocryphal. But the point is, it was these group of people in modern day Turkey under the Roman Empire who barely arbitrarily chose what is and isn't going to go into the New Testament. For example, why are there four Gospels? The basic arguments is there are four winds on the planet and four corners of the earth. Neither of those statements are true. But if you think about it, there's seven days in the week. There were 12 disciples. Why, why four? So what we've got is tradition, heaped upon tradition, heaped upon centuries, and you end up getting this completely new narrative. It is safe to say that somebody who was around to hear the Sermon on the Mount by Jesus Christ, if you showed them the modern day working of the uh, of Christianity, let's say the Anglicans or the Catholics, they wouldn't recognize any of it. For starters, they'd never seen a church before in their life. Who are these sort of church leaders in their robes? To them, they would have looked like science fiction outfits. Things change. And one of the things that Christianity had to reckon with is the fact that it existed with all these other religions. 
It did not come into a vacuum. The Roman Empire was pagan. And make no mistake about it, when Constantine said, we're going to be Christian now, that did not mean that instantly every single Roman citizen became Christian. Indeed, a later Roman emperor called Julian, the apostate as he's remembered, he actually tried to roll back. He was from the same family of Constantine. He, he didn't think that Christianity was really working in terms of gelling the empire together, so he wanted it to return to the pagan ways. Now, why would he do that if everybody was Christian and nobody was bothering to with the pagans anymore? Because it clearly points out that there were still plenty of pagans, even after Constantine's decrees. So yeah, Christianity, if you like, was fighting to get noticed. I don't want to get too technical here, but you've probably heard of things like the, the letters, uh, you know, the letters to the Corinthians, the letter to the Ephesians. Now, Ephesians come from a place called Ephesus. What's that got to do with anything? The Ephesus had the Temple of Diana or Temple of I, Artemis there. That's one of the wonders of the world. It was basically what Rome is today for Christians. It was for pagans. And I, I don't like using the word pagan because that's showing a Christian bias. Basically, you're either Christian or you're some kind of idiot that, that doesn't follow one God. And, and the thing is, um, later on, I'm going to be talking about Celtic paganism, which would have been very different to the religions of classical Greece and Rome. And they, in turn, were a bit different to the ones in Egypt. It's worth remembering that it was only with Christianity and the concept of one God and one God only do we eventually end up with the concept of holy war. The thing is, if you believe in multiple gods. Let's take, for example, the Greek god of war is called Ares, but the Romans also had a god of war called Mars. So all people did in ancient world is go, oh, you got a god of war, we got a god of war. We just call them different things, but we speak different languages, so that's fine. Not like, well, my god of war is better. Clearly it's the same god of war in, in their mind. I just use that one of many, many examples. The point is, Christianity had to be competitive. So with Ephesus, the fact that there were Christians in Ephesus was saying, whoa, you know, in the middle of this huge sort of pagan temple and shrine, there are Christians. Wow, that must mean Christianity is powerful and strong and converting these pagans. It's a bit of PR, basically. So not only was that happening there, but it was also happening with religious festivals. Christmas, a lot of people are aware, there were a number of very important pagan festivals around the winter solstice, which is round about, give or take, December 25th. Christianity took the attitude of, if you can't beat them, join them. These are important pagan festivals. Turns out, pagans, uh, you're right, this is a really important time of the year, but you're actually celebrating the wrong gods because this is when our god was born. Where does it say that in your book? It doesn't, but just trust us on this. And it was centuries after Jesus's death that actually you get Christmas being put on as December 25th. Again, an early Christian would have not recognized anything like our Christmas celebrations. And it's the same thing with Halloween. There are so many, basically it's, it's the start of, it's about the same time that your clocks change, yeah? And it's because we're now into the, well, as the, the Celtic pagans would call it, the dark half of the year. You're basically starting at the point where it's just getting darker and darker and darker, and we're going, you know, we're, go, we're moving from autumnal uh, weather to winter weather. And, and so basically we got, you know, five, six months 
months of tough times ahead of us, and then things are going to start getting better in the spring, which, by the way, is when you get Easter, okay? So there were already multiple celebrations roughly round about October the 31st, and the one in the British Isles is the Gaelic word for it is Samhain. Now, I am pretty sure I'm um, pronouncing that slightly wrong. Apologies if you know what it is in, in sort of Scottish Gaelic or in Irish Gaelic, please feel free to. I know that there are different spellings of it as well, because, of course, we're talking about an era where, you know, even in literate societies, there were multiple different spellings of words. We could go on and on about this stuff, but I'm I'm, I'm not going to go down there. So bottom line, it was a pagan festival, which was kind of like a harvest festival. We got everything in. We now got to prepare for the, the tougher time of the year. And there were multiple celebrations, burnings of bonfire. And it does seem that in Ireland, to link it back to Halloween the movie, there seems to have been human sacrifice involved in it as well. Now that, that takes it to a whole other level, you know. Hey kids, do you want to, come on in, let's sacrifice somebody, shall we? Who wants the kidneys? You know, (laughs) It always, you know, there are multiple religions around the world that have kind of died out now that had human sacrifice. Imagine if that was still going on in the 21st century and we all thought it was fine. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, of course this brings in this brings the sun back up after a lunar eclipse or something like that. I, I just find that sort of fascinating. So Samhain was a hugely important festival around Britain, and it was still commemorated well into the Christian era. And so what the Christians did is that basically they had to recognize this, but round about the ninth century, so the 800s AD, we get the the popes in Rome saying, okay, well, November 1st, the, basically the whole period around October 31st, November 1st, November 2nd, this is kind of a holy time where, you know, you get darkness, but you also get light, you get hope. And so November the 1st is the thing that none of us really celebrate all that much unless you go to church, which is called All Saints or All Souls Day. And the the legend around that, because let's be honest, it ain't in the Bible. It's not canon, if you like. The idea is that the, you know, after this time of darkness on October 31st, where evil spirits roam around planet Earth, on the 1st, there's like a cleansing where all the sort of angels and saints rise up and sort of spread love, joy and light around the uh, around the place, sort of like sweeping up after the devastation of the dark things. And it's a lovely idea and it sort of brings back this concept in in particularly medieval Christianity of, of sort of like, you know, this sort of cycle of, of battle between good and evil, light and dark. And, and so you get, yes, All Saints Day is still in the Christian calendar. You know, like I say, you go to church on, on November 1st, that's what you're going to be commemorating. And there does seem to be a certain uh, almost coincidence with this, but ties in quite nicely because if if this is when the, the saints and martyrs and angels sort of rise up and cleanse, you're getting pretty close to the 11th day of the 11th month, the 11th hour, you know, you you get Remembrance Sunday, Remembrance Day, which is only just over a week after that. And again, we sort of talk about the sacrifice of those men. Now, that is far more literal. You know, literally millions of men died in both world wars and in wars since then, sort of protecting their countries and keeping democracy safe and fighting the Nazis. You know, all these things, you know, aren't really up for debate. But a lot of it has been tied in for, for quite some time, particularly with the Anglican Church, the Church of England, with the sort of like tied in with sort of the All Saints. 
And, you know, we, we do need to sort of commemorate the dead in some way. Meanwhile, in Mexico, you get the Day of the Dead, which is sort of basically at this time as well. And it was actually a James Bond movie, Spectre, which led to this sort of big march. People had celebrations, but nobody did kind of like a carnival through, you know, uh, Mexico City. But because that seemed so popular, that's now an annual festi festival, pandemics uh, permitted, you know, which you can go to see. It's been turned into a tourist attraction. And it's, it's sort of made to feel like we've been doing this for centuries. We're actually only been doing it for a decade. So all of this comes from this sort of concept of Halloween. And I find it fascinating that it ties into, you know, if, if we're pulling from sort of pagan traditions, Christian traditions, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, North Africa, so that's one continent, Europe, another continent, America, and a further continent. It does show you the sort of the very human nature that we have and sort of like tying ourselves into the seasons and the changing of the year and how important that is for all societies. So this sort of celebration of Halloween and All Saints Day, obviously this had religious impact. And I can't think of a more religious group than, you know, the, the founding, well, not the founding fathers, but, you know, the, the, the Puritans who went over, you know, Plymouth Rock and all that kind of stuff to America. So, of course, they brought their commemorations there. And over the centuries, their commemorations evolved into something a bit more commercial, just like Christmas. So that by the 1970s, Halloween was always kind of a big deal. And, you know, you get certain other references. E.T. only came out a few years later. And clearly, trick-or-treating is an ongoing thing in America. But again, that was another reminder for all the kids of Britain and Europe. It's like, you can do this too. You can get free sweets. You know, there are specific sweets that are candy that are released in America specifically for Halloween. Sometimes they're regular sweets now put into like pumpkin shapes. There's the pumpkin spice latte of the, uh, you know, of, of Starbucks fame. You know, so pumpkins, pretty obvious. They're sort of like they're gourds, they're gouaches. You know, they're all sort of from the same family. They are ready to go usually around about the same time as Halloween. So it seems natural to do that. There isn't really an equivalent in the UK. But now we buy. You know, so many of us buy pumpkins just to purely carve them. And then they turn into mush over the pro. Uh, over the period of November. So there we go. That's Halloween from ancient human sacrifice to modern day sugar geddon. And I really hope that you've enjoyed this. Please share it. You know, this one's got a bit of a sell by date. I mean, the, the history is always going to be the same, but get it out there. Go on. You know, like I keep saying, if you can just tell one other person about this podcast and get them to subscribe on it, you know, click it, recommend it, put some reviews up, please, please spread the word, spread the love. Um, and, you know, I'd be eternally grateful. If you want to hit me up, I'm at Jem Daduchu on uh, Twitter and I'm History Gems with a G uh, on Facebook. Uh, take care and speak soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 
luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.